Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 5 of Superman and Batman. My name is Michael Bradley, and I am your host on this show where we celebrate more than 60 years of the world's finest duo by looking at Superman and Batman team-ups from randomly selected issues of world's finest comics. And this is episode 5, the whole handful, as my nephew would have said when he was a toddler. But I'll tell you what, folks, I am not going to spend a lot of time on the introduction this episode, because I am very psyched about the issue that came up for coverage this time, because it features two really exciting firsts for the podcast. The first, well, first, is that this issue's story features a guest appearance by a previously established DC Universe character outside of the Superman and Batman families. Uh, Even though most of the issue is spent chasing said hero, this issue we get Superman, we get Batman, and we get a third hero. And that's three heroes for the price of two. And it's really hard to beat that. And the second first is that this issue was written by a writer who gained a reputation for telling stories that were, well, let's just say zany. Some people love him, some people hate him, but there are very few in either category that wouldn't acknowledge that he is always entertaining. So, without further ado, because no one likes ado, let's dive right in. Sporting a January-February 1975 cover date, World's Finest Comics, issue 227, was released on October 17, 1974, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. The issue cost 60 cents and had 96 pages, or 100 according to the cover, which apparently counts the front, back, and inside covers as pages. I've talked in previous episodes about the Dollar Comics era for the title. A precursor to that was this era of the 100-page Spectaculars, where DC took a handful of their titles, added several features and, and classic reprints to bump up the page count to 100, and charged 60 cents for it. World's Finest Comics, Superman Family, Brave and the Bold, uh, where Batman had team-ups with other heroes, and several other titles were part of this initiative. It lasted even less time than the Dollar Comics era, but still, for readers at the time, 100 pages for 60 cents was a pretty good deal. The cover for this particular issue is by Nick Carty, apparently from a layout by Carmen Infantino. And it actually plugs every feature in the book. So I'm going to hold off on the cover talk for this episode until the second segment. Unfortunately, it's not that remarkable of a cover anyway. Uh, One downside to this 100-pager era is that on the covers, they did try to plug everything in the book. So the covers tend to be kind of a a hot mess without a real focus. But more on that later. In addition to being edited by Murray Boltonoff, credits for the Superman-Batman story that leads off the book are Story by Bob Haney, Pencils by Dick Dillon, and Inks by Tex Blaisdell. Bob Haney is a name that we will no doubt be hearing a lot on the show. He wrote Superman and Batman stories in nearly 20% of the issues from when the team-ups began in issue 271 through the end of the series including a run of all but two issues from 215 to 255. Haney also is responsible for the Super Sons, and if you're not familiar with the Super Sons, just you wait. 
I'm really looking forward to when those episodes come up in the rotation. And to be honest with you, if they don't come up uh, sooner rather than later, I may end up doing a special episode just talking about the Super Sons because um, I, I really, I really like the concept. Uh, but Haney joined DC in 1955 and spent the first eight or so years churning out stories for DC's war titles. Around the end of 1963, he started doing more superhero stories and would soon co-create long-standing DC icons like the Teen Titans, Metamorpho, and Eclipso. Um, He was also pretty much the only writer on Brave and the Bold for about 15 years, where he wrote a huge amount of stories teaming Batman with various heroes from around the DC Universe. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, Haney is credited with more than 900 stories during a 35 or so year career, which averages out to about three stories a month for that entire time, which is just an astronomical number. Haney's known for telling some of the craziest comic book stories that you'll find. And not crazy bad or crazy nonsense, but the brilliant good kind of crazy. Uh, madcap insanity that can only come from a genius who knows exactly what he's writing and, and how to write it. He's also gained a reputation for his sometimes absolutely flagrant disregard of continuity. And at least in his stories with the Teen Titans and the Super Sons, using this exaggerated jargon that attempted to emulate the so-called hip-speak of kids at the time. And it seems even more... Uh, comedic and, and cornball now, 30 or 40 years later. But even at the time, you know that that wasn't common teen speak of the day. It, it was an adult trying to ring true to what the kids were doing, failing miserably, but pulling his best Major Kong and hooting and hollering and riding that sucker all the way down to the ground. Um, if you want to hear more about Bob Haney's stories, after this episode, seek out DJ Comics Cavalcade where Thomas DJ did episodes covering the first 12 or, or 15 Teen Titans stories, all written by Bob Haney. Uh, listen to those episodes and, and get a, a bigger taste of the mad genius that is Bob Haney. Or better yet, just go buy a showcase volume. There are volumes with Brave and the Bold stories, as well as Metamorpho and Teen Titans. His work is really something that needs to be experienced to be fully appreciated. Um, As I said at the top of the show, from what I've seen, Haney's somewhat of a divisive writer. Some people love him, and some hate him. Me, I admit his work isn't always to my style, but I appreciate the pure, outside-the-box, but still really true-to-the-character stories that he tends to tell. And the ones I've read, which, you know, to be... to, to full disclosure, have, have mostly been in the Superman and Batman camps, but the ones I've read have rarely left me feeling like I wasted my time, which, when I'm reading a comic book, that's really, really important. So, let's go ahead and get into World's Finest Comics, number 227, and our 20-page, three-part story, which is titled Death Flaunts Its Golden Grin, and begins with part one, My Brother, My Shame. To the horror of Rush Hour Commuters, Superman tears through the morning skies above New York City, carrying the Statue of Liberty before smashing the American icon into a nearby cliff. Has Superman gone mad? Has he been dipping into the red kryptonite again? 
No, gentle listener, this is simply Tuesday. And as the Man of Steel explains to the quickly arriving police, the smashed statue was a replica. It was being shipped into the country via freighter, and Superman, acting on a tip from Batman, believed it was being used for smuggling. Unfortunately for our spit-curled hero, the tip was wrong. The statue was destined for an amusement park, and the officer is forced to give Superman a summons for destroying private property and creating a public nuisance. And if this officer only knew the kind of wacky hijinks Superman did every single issue in the Golden Age. So, as the Man of Steel returns to his special office headquarters, we cut to Batman at the circus, and on the trail of an acrobat he believes to be the ghostly hero Deadman, who was last seen, according to an editorial footnote, four issues ago when he stole the body of Bruce Wayne's little-known and mentally ill brother, Thomas. The full story of Bruce Wayne's brother and why Deadman is inhabiting his body isn't detailed in this issue, but Batman is understandably concerned, worried that if Deadman should need to leave Thomas's body for some reason, his brother could be hurt or killed. Unfortunately, much like with the statue, Batman was dead wrong about the acrobat being Deadman. And believe it or not, I did not write that pun into my notes, so that's a freebie, folks. But he nearly kills the man trying to unmask him. Thanks to a sudden appearance by Superman, that doesn't happen. But the Man of Steel lays into the Dark Knight about being so very, very wrong. He reminds Batman that the government has asked him to bust up a gold smuggling ring. And the Man of Steel is sick and tired of Batman's whining and distraction about his only living relative. There's crime to fight already. Let the mentally ill vagrant take care of himself. And I really wish I was making up just how much of a jerk Superman is in this part of the story. But alas, I'm not, so we will just have to let the folks at Super Dickery take that over. So, with Batman dedicated to finding his brother, and Superman dedicated to being a the two heroes part ways. Following up on a lead, Batman soon arrives in Pine Rapids, Iowa, at the site of a training ground for an aerial circus, and its newest performer... Red Daredevil Devlin, who Batman is sure must be Dead Man. In part two, Duel with a Dead Man, Batman watches the acrobat leap from a hot air balloon, while circus worker Gus explains that Devlin is trying to beat Marco the Magnificent to become the circus's headline act. Gus radios the performer, but upon seeing that Batman is waiting for him, Devlin fires up the balloon's burners, sailing away at top speed. Seeing a man nearby giving $10 plane rides, Batman makes it rain on the aviator, commandeering the plane and soaring after the balloon. But the balloonist deftly avoids the Dark Knight, performing a series of maneuvers that result in Batman crashing into a nearby row of trees. Later, Gus tells Batman that Devlin landed and said he was quitting the circus. But unbeknownst to Gus, Batman had overheard Gus talking to Devlin on the phone and knows the performer is just laying low. So Batman decides to do the same, aware that a showdown looms ahead. Meanwhile, Superman investigates the gold smuggling, learning that a man named Kurt Falk monthly buys large amounts of gold and has it shipped to his private residence in Sweden. Upon arrival at Falk's castle, Superman discovers that part of the castle is being used as a base for a high-altitude balloon. The airship is gone, but the Man of Steel finds models and flight plans showing regular trips to and from the U.S. 
Superman realizes the smugglers are using balloons to bring the gold into the country at such a high altitude that it isn't detected. He sees they're due for another delivery the next day in the Midwest and leaves the castle, heading home to meet them when they arrive. As Part 3, Farewell to a Phantom, begins, the big day has arrived. Daredevil Devlin and Marco the Magnificent are to have a competition to determine who will be the circus's top dog. Before the competition, Devlin strides from the hangar, mounting the balloon for practice. To Gus's surprise, however, the balloon sails away much higher than necessary and keeps on going. Up in the gondola, Batman, who somehow was in the gondola without being seen by Devlin, who is piloting the gondola that is only, you know, six feet by six feet or however big those things are. But anyway, Batman leaps at the acrobat, pulling off his mask to reveal that he is in fact not the dead man possessed Thomas Wayne. Shocked by the revelation, Batman is caught off guard, allowing the masked manhunter to be tossed overboard and sending him downward to a certain grisly demise. On the ground, the real Devlin spots the second balloon and soars into the sky, catching Batman and allowing him to slip safely into the gondola. Batman demands Deadman give up his brother's body, but Deadman says that he only needs a little more time to beat out Marco. Given that Deadman just saved his life, Batman agrees, but demands no more tricks. Meanwhile, back on the ground, Marco takes off to begin his performance, but is met by Superman, who declares that he knows Marco is really Kurt Falk and that he's been smuggling gold. Marco slash Falk denies Superman's charge, but then orders his fellow aviators to attack. Back with Batman, he and Devlin slash Deadman slash Thomas Wayne Jr. see the skyjacked balloon, but now with an enclosed capsule attached rather than the basket gondola. The two give chase, soon landing in a nearby canyon. At Batman's, um, request? Deadman relinquishes Thomas's body so he won't get hurt, and after tying him to the balloon to keep him safe, the two heroes go after the hijackers. A fight ensues, and the armed thieves get the upper hand, with one of them firing a shot right at Batman. But, much to the Dark Knight's surprise, he is saved when Thomas jumps into the bullet's path, taking the shot himself. Deadman possesses the second thief, firing a shot of his own at the first, thus ending the threat. But it's too late. The gunman has taken his toll. The shot Thomas intercepted was a fatal one. Deadman surmises Thomas must have broke free of his bonds, and some old memory or instinct about who Batman really was caused him to sacrifice his life. Batman sheds a tear for the loss of his brother, but knows that his brother's soul can finally be at peace. Later, we get a page of exposition and wrap-up, as Superman explains that Marco, a.k.a. Kurt Falk, was using his aerial balloon to smuggle gold hidden within the gondola into the U.S. When he found out Superman was onto him, he recruited the fake Devlin to help him pull off the latest heist. The Man of Steel then gives his condolences regarding the death of Thomas, and the two heroes make up, as Deadman, bodiless once more, sits forlorn atop Devlin's balloon. And at the end of the story, we get a tease that the story and how Deadman is faring, you know, being disembodied once more, might be followed up on soon, but to my knowledge, it, it never actually was. Still, this was a good story. My biggest problem with it was that it feels 
more like a Batman story than a Superman and Batman story. Uh, Superman was pretty incidental to the whole situation. And really, while this might be, you know, backseat driving or or Monday morning quarterbacking, however you want to look at it, I I think the story might have been improved eliminating Superman and making it just a Batman, dead man story. That would also help my other significant criticism of the story, which is dead man kind of comes off like a selfish jerk here. Um, He's taken Thomas Wayne's body and is using his new lease on life to just kind of do whatever he wants. Um, He's not using it to be a hero or to do good. He's just assumed an identity and is back to being an acrobat. I'm not really familiar with Dead Man. Um, I don't think I've read... Well, I've read very little of his solo features from throughout the years. So my exposure to the character mostly is from crossovers and team-ups. But just from those this doesn't seem like the best depiction of the character. I think by removing Superman from the story, Haney could have added in the idea that Dead Man, separately from Batman, got on the trail of the gold smugglers and was part of the aerial show in order to ferret out who was behind it. And then we wouldn't have Dead Man basically stealing someone's life. I mean, at least there'd be uh, a reason behind it or, or something coming from it. But... He didn't do that, so we, we have to judge the story as it stands. Um, and even as it is, it's, it's, it's really not a bad story. Uh, there was nothing wrong with it structurally. There was enough action. You know, unlike the story we had last episode, there, there was you had your talking and your exposition, and then you had your action, and it, it, it was a good balance. Um, it had a great emotional punch with Thomas's death one that has even more meaning to those who read issue 223 where the character was introduced. And I enjoyed... How to say this? I enjoyed that it wasn't a traditional superhero team-up, but yet that we still got to see the characters, or at least Batman and Deadman, interacting and working together. As much as I complained about Deadman not having... um, really a point at the circus other than, you know, fulfilling his own kind of selfish wishes. Uh, With Superman still being in the story, had Dead Man also been on the trail of the gold smugglers, that would have been too much. Three heroes all stumbling into the same thing separately but simultaneously is really a stretch. But having Batman pursuing Dead Man and coming into the smuggling while Superman was going after the smuggling directly it made for a nice change of pace and a different kind of conflict that didn't fall into the, the stereotypical uh, superhero team-up tropes. Which is probably a big reason why I did enjoy the story, despite what I see as a pretty out-of-character Superman at the beginning and a less-than-favorable take on Dead Man. Um, and at the end of the day, if I enjoy a story, like like really enjoy it, I usually am able to overlook sideways characterization and and some missteps in in plot or logic. Um, I really enjoyed the opening sequence of Superman smashing the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, Superman getting a summons for destroying public property was silly, but the sight of him with the statue was just a, a real grabber to open the story with. I also enjoyed the way Batman was portrayed in the story. Clearly, the revelation of his brother and uh, Deadman co-opting his brother's body has taken a toll on Batman, 
and it, it's really thrown him off his guard. I liked seeing a Batman that that wasn't a Batman that seemed a little vulnerable emotionally, but not to the point of it being melodramatic, which is a trap that a lot of writers um, often fall into. Um, not 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 necessarily just with Batman, but kind of writing characters in comics, you know, across the board. There's a really great moment on page six where Superman unsympathetically has had enough of Batman and flat out tells him off. And you can see the hurt on Batman's face, but also that he's... he. It looks like he's kind of just numb to the situation. The way I interpreted the art is that he's he's kind of emotionally overwhelmed with the whole situation and that the way Superman is acting just really isn't even um, clicking with him. Um, it might be my favorite moment, at least artistically, in the, the entire story. Um, not much else to say, really. It's just a very you know serviceable story. Art-wise, it was much of the same. Uh, at this time, Dick Dillon was the regular penciler on Justice League of America and also was doing occasional stories in other books. Uh, he's a good artist and does a, a decent job on both characters. There's nothing especially dynamic about the page layout, but, you know, perfectly fine. Just just a solid outing all around. So, basically, I guess, you know, from a writing standpoint and an art standpoint, this story was okay. Uh, nothing great, but perfectly serviceable and... Uh, really an enjoyable read um, don't, don't take my lack of rave reviews here to be a negative uh, I definitely walked away satisfied after reading this and sometimes that's that's how it is um, I would rather walk away from a story feeling satisfied with little to say as I did here than walk away feeling let down with mostly negative feelings as I did with the story we looked at last episode so that does it for the lead story. Right now, it's time for a break, and then we'll come back for a look at the rest of the book and what else was around the spinner rack. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you're making me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a 10 cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libsyn.com.
Every legend has a beginning. Maybe surprisingly for a Bronze Age tale, this story has been reprinted, but not in a Superman or Batman volume. In 2011 and 2012, DC published three Dead Man trade paperbacks, reprinting most of the characters' significant appearances from his debut in 1967 up to about 1977 or so. And this story is reprinted in Volume 3 of that series, which has a great uh, Jim Baparo cover featuring both the Phantom Stranger and Dead Man. Uh, but speaking of reprints, as I said, this issue contains 100 pages, or 96 if you're not counting the covers like the cover does. Um, but to make up that extra size, DC threw in four reprints and some other bonus features. So let's take a look. As you open the book, you get a contents page, illustrated by Kurt Swan and Stan Kay, that shows Superman and Batman pointing at a wall which contains, uh, quote-unquote, posters advertising the other features in the book. Um, a, a lot of these 100-page spectaculars had these contents pages. Uh, it, it's kind of a neat idea. Unfortunately, they're probably never going to get reprinted because, you know, if the stories in the book get reprinted, they're going to be reprinted separately from the rest of the book. So, But it's kind of a throwback to um, early in the, the Golden Age in the, in the Superman books. They often had these uh, frontispieces like, um, in, in the Superman title. Uh, the first four or five issues, when you open the front cover, you would just see a, a frontispiece of Superman and uh, doing various feats and such. Kind of a, It looked like a poster, but it was the front page of the book. So it's kind of a throwback to that. But you also get you know, a content page of what's in this issue, which is kind of nice, too. Um, but after that is the Superman-Batman story we just looked at. And then we get a 25-page story featuring Rip Hunter, titled The Secret of Mount Olympus. And that story was reprinted from Rip Hunter, Time Master, number 11, and is by Jack Miller and Bill Eli. Then we get an eight-page vigilante story from Action Comics number 188, that's titled The Reformed Owl Hoot Club and is by Dick Wood and Hal Sherman. And a six-page Martian Manhunter story by Jack Miller and Joe Serta from Detective Comics number 227. That's titled The Man with 20 Lives and is the third Martian Manhunter story, which was originally published all the way back in 1955. And next up is a non-reprint feature titled DC Comic Stars on the Screen. At this time, Super Friends was a big hit on television, and Shazam had just debuted, I think, maybe a month or so before this issue hit the stands. So this three-page feature details the history of various DC Comics properties on the big and small screens. It mentions the Fleischer cartoons, George Reeves' Adventures of Superman series, the Filmation cartoons from the 60s, the 1966 Batman series, as well as the various serials from the 1940s, including Two for Superman, Two for Batman, Vigilante, Congo Bill, Black Hawk, who wasn't actually a DC property when the serial was produced, but was by the time this issue came out, and even Hop Harrigan. So it's it's really extensive. Um, I, I can't think of any TV shows or movies about DC characters that didn't get a mention um, really, really, the only thing they didn't mention would be the the um, 
the the radio serials. I mean, Superman had a serial. I think I think uh, Hop Harrigan had one that was very very short lived, but you know it, it was focusing on the the screen, so and not radio. Uh, but the final feature in the book is a second Superman Batman story titled "The Cape and Cowl Crooks," and I won't say any more about that because it's reprinted from World's Finest Comics number one fifty nine. And I really hope that it comes up in the rotation at some point because that's a really good one. And I I look forward to being able to cover that on the show here at some point. And we end with a letters column from the world's finest fans with readers responding to stories in issue numbers 224, 225, and 226. Ad-wise, not a whole lot worth mentioning. Uh, You've got your standard selection of Daisy Air Rifles, Ads for other DC books, muscle building, and cheap toys. Um, Maybe the most notable ad, at least for kids of this era, is the back cover, which is pimping various Evil Knievel toys and vehicles from Ideal. Evil Knievel was pretty much bananas in the 1970s, and this was right around the time of the Snake River Canyon jump, so it was pretty much the height of his popularity. Uh, Oh! I said I would talk about the cover. Like I said, the the cover promos pretty much everything in the book. The the main part of the cover is divided into a large image and then a smaller image. Uh, The the larger image shows Superman attacking the Statue of Liberty with Batman and Deadman wondering (laughs) just what's going on. And we have a a, uh, speech balloon from Batman... He says, why is Superman destroying the Statue of Liberty? Stop him, dead man! Um, it, it's a neat image, but really <laughs> misrepresents what happens in the book. Uh, but the other part of the image is promoting the other Superman and Batman story, the Cape and Cow Crooks, and you see the characters involved there. And then at the bottom, we get a ribbon promoting uh, Vigilante and Rip Hunter, as well as the DC Comics on the screen feature. Poor Martian Manhunter gets no love on the cover, probably because he wasn't really high profile at this point. Uh, Denny O'Neill had written the character out of Justice League of America at the end of 1969, or yeah, it was 1969, and the character made only a dozen or so appearances throughout the 1970s and and really even into the early 1980s. Um, you know, I don't hate this cover. But like most covers for the 100-page Super Spectaculars, they just try to plug too much, and there's there's really no focus. Um, plus, like I said, the dominant image is really misleading compared to uh, what actually happens in the story. I mean, sure, Superman attacks the statue, but Batman and Deadman aren't even in that scene, and, and it's not at all connected to... Well, I guess it is connected to the drug smuggling or the gold smuggling, but... It, it's it's very much a tangent, so they they aren't really connected. But that does it for World's Finest Comics number two twenty seven. So let's head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com dot com and see what else was hip and happening on the stands. I really don't see a lot here this time. Um, DC was putting out a lot of war and romance and horror books during this period. And, from the looks of things, a lot of Nick Cardi covers, too. Um, You know, I really don't see much of anything here that stands out. Um, Our heroes are appearing in Superman 283, 
Batman 260 and Action Comics 443, as well as JLA and Superboy. Uh, I, I guess there wasn't an issue of Detective Comics this month. Uh, but story-wise, just, just not a lot to talk about. I do really like the cover to House of Secrets number 127. It's a low-angle shot of a robed skeleton shooting pool with the billiard balls uh, coming right out at the reader as well as a, a small man that, um, that that's standing on the table. It, it's just a really cool and, and very dynamic cover, and uh, the, the colors on it, too, are, are very nice. But I guess that's it. Uh, as always, I want to remind you to keep on emailing in. Let me know your thoughts on the show or, or this particular story or whatever you want to talk about. If you have a, a certain Superman-Batman story from throughout the years that you want me to cover, uh, let me know that as well. But that's it for this episode. So I hope you have a great one, and I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. I was listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together.
This episode's closing music was Oingo Boingo's Dead Man's Party from their 1985 album of the same name. If you'd like to get this song or the album, the best way to do that is to head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner. Pick up a CD, digital download, or pretty much anything else your heart desires, and Two True Freaks will get a little cut from every purchase. It won't cost you anything extra, but does help ensure a steady stream of fine Two True Freaks-related podcasts.